0: For the reading of God's word Our passage is 1 Peter chapter 1 Beginning at verse 1 It's on page 1079 in your Red Pew Bibles If you didn't bring a Bible of your own Should be a Red Pew Bible that looks like this right here If you want to hunt one of those up Should be one nearby Page 1079 in your Red Pew Bibles 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 1 we like for everyone to be able to see the passage as it's being preached. 1 Peter 1, page 1079.
1: Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Carrie. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we pause and still our hearts now as we Come to your word, Lord, we have heard your word read, we have brought our offerings to you, we have offered our prayers to you, we have sung your praises, and Lord, now we come to open our hearts and our ears and our minds and our soul to your powerful word that you say comes down to heaven and causes things to flourish, your word changes our hearts. It sets us free. Lord, we need you to do that in our hearts this morning. We need hope. We need to see Jesus. We need to have our hearts captured by someone far more beautiful and enticing than anything this world has to offer. To come and use your word upon our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's start with a question for the kids this morning. Is always getting us started. So the question here is, have you ever been on a trip somewhere far away from your home? Anybody? Yeah? All right, good. There we go. All right, we're waking up a little bit. You know, when you go away to a place far away from what you're familiar with, you know that things are very different people act different There are different values you have this experience of feeling like a stranger sometimes you stick out like a sore thumb sometimes it can be a little disconcerting because you're like wow this is like backwards this is weird this is not what I'm used to it's a very distinct experience if you've ever had one before Um, H and I had this experience I've shared a number of things about this, but my oldest son H and I got to go on a mission trip to Uzbekistan uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was very different. And it we definitely felt like strangers in this place. I mean very different culture. I mean probably most of us are like, Uz what? you know. About halfway around the world, in fact Putin and President Xi, the Chinese premier meeting there right now, that's where their global summit is, the city that we were in. It's just kind of crazy. But it was a very different place. And when you're there, like, things are very different when you're so far away from home. There are things that are uncomfortable, but you just kind of come to expect those things. You know that it's going to be different. You know that the values are going to be different and you're really going to stick out. I remember at one point, Neil, my friend Neil, who has lived there for many years, and uh, he's a missionary, and he was the one who was helping us to get around, and he's fluent in the language and everything, and he was staying in a different place, and and he was going to send, we were uh, going to a meeting one morning, and he was going to send a, a friend of his to come pick us up in the car to take us to where our meeting was, and we're at the hotel, and I said, do you, do you need to tell him, like, who we are? Like, describe what we're wearing so he will know who he's picking up. And Neil just cracked up, and he said, no, he will know exactly who you are. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, we so stood out. We were so different than everyone around us. Everyone knew, oh, these people ain't from around here, right? We're starting a new series. Here's why I share this. We're starting a new series today in the book of 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter is all about helping us to understand this really critical thing about those of us who are followers of Jesus, and that is that we are strangers in this world. We stick out. We're supposed to stick out. That's a part of our calling, but this world is not our home. And this life is a temporary reality. We spend our lives going somewhere. We are, as Peter uses the word here, exiles. We're going to talk about what that means. But this world is not our home. And one of the realities of that is that in this world, we have the experience of seeing that things are not the way they're supposed to be. This world is broken. Our bodies are broken. People get sick. We walk through incredibly... Challenging things in our lives, our relationships break our hearts so often. We live in a world that is filled with war. This world is not our home and it is filled with affliction and hardship and difficulty. But Peter, writing to believers in the first century, wants them to know as they face persecution, as they face hardship, he wants them to be rooted in that identity that this world is not your home it is not strange what you were going through and that gives them the hope and the strength to be able to live faithfully in the world and that's a part of what we need I think as we're called to live faithfully in a world that's not our home you know I think one of the greatest challenge for us as American believers in our culture that is known unparalleled wealth and affluence and safety over the history of the world now You wouldn't know that because we have lots of fears and lots of things that we're afraid of. We're probably one of the most anxious generations and peoples that have ever existed. Which is ironic because we have the highest level of affluence and security of any culture in the history of the world. That's interesting, I find it. But the most tempting thing for us as American Christians is to get lulled into this mindset that this world is our home. That we're living for this life. That everything, we got to have everything now in this world. That that we got to have all of the experiences that when suffering comes, we don't know what to do with it. Because, again, we are so tempted to make this world our home. So here's what we'll see in our passage today. When our identity is rooted in the gospel, we're empowered to live faithfully in this world that is not our home. That's what we'll see today. So let's jump in. We're, we're just looking at the first couple verses here as we start this book. And we're going to walk through this book uh, for the rest of the fall. But what we're looking at, the, the part of the book that we're looking at today is called the greeting. Now this was very common in, First Peter is actually a letter. And in these kind of correspondences in the ancient world, it would begin with a greeting. Now, we kind of do that too, you know, dear such and such, when we start out a letter. But theirs was more expanded. It had a little bit more content. Now, you see at the very beginning, the very first thing that he says is he identifies himself. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We are reading the words of the apostle Peter. Now, if you've been around the church or if you've been a Christian for some time, you know that ought to tell you a lot about who's speaking here. Someone who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus, these are the trustworthy, firsthand words of someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus, and not only an eyewitness, but a close personal friend. So there's authority with these words. This is the Apostle Peter. But then he moves into the greeting. And now this greeting, as you can see here, is expanded. Now he doesn't just say, here's who I'm writing to, he wants to actually Root his audience, who he's writing to, and actually us, in our identity. He wants us to understand who we are. Now you can see from the the verses here that he's writing to believers who who are in a number of different areas. What he says, second part of verse 1, that these are believers who are scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These were specific regions in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. We actually got to do a layover in Istanbul when we were on our trip over. I so wanted to leave the airport. I so wanted to go see some of these places. Likely, these were churches that Peter himself had planted. So he has great concern over how they're doing, so he's writing to them. But here's one of the things that I want us to really drill down on in these verses. In the greeting, he's not just identifying who he's talking to. He is rooting them in who they are. Look at what he says here. Right off the bat, second part of verse 1. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout these provinces. So Peter roots them in this identity. Two words. Two aspects of their identity that Peter wants them to know. They are elect... The elect of God, we'll talk about that in just a minute, and they are exiles in the world. Those are the two things we're going to talk about. First, exiles. What does it mean for Peter to say, you are exiles? What is an exile? An exile is someone who is living in a place not their own. They're a foreigner. They're a stranger. They're outside of their homeland. And that creates a very definitive experience here of being like, very often feeling like a fish out of water, of being in a place that does not share your values, being in a place that is not what you're made for. That is the experience of being in exile. Peter will use this and repeat this kind of concept throughout the book. He says later, uh, actually in verse 2, as he calls them to live out this reality as strangers and aliens in the world. He's repeating this throughout, this identity, that this world is not your home. He wants them to remember that and know that. There's also a lot that ought to be rushing to our minds as we hear this word exile. It certainly would for them. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that this concept of exile is an enormous one. In one instant, it starts at the very beginning of the Bible, in the garden. If you know the story, God created Adam and Eve. He creates humanity and He created a garden that they would live in His presence, in His beautiful creation, in intimate fellowship with Him, and that they would expand the the Garden of Eden throughout the earth. But as you know the story, things went south really quick. They chose to rebel against God. And in that moment, in the moment of their sin, their relationship with God was fractured. Their relationship with each other was fractured. Their relationship even with the earth was fractured. Even the earth itself, even creation became cursed. And we are living in the fallout today. And so they were kicked out of the garden. They were exiled from the garden. See one of the realities is that every human being is created for the garden. That's our real home, and we spend most of our lives searching for the garden, searching for that place where there is shalom, searching for that place that there is intimacy with God. You might say, well, I'd look around. Most people aren't living like that. Yes, we are. Everything that we're chasing in this world, we are chasing God. G.K. Chester once said that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Every addiction in our life, every sense of being taken by our reputation or what people think of us, everything that we're running after in this life is ultimately a chasing after God. Just so often we don't know it. We were made for the garden. We were made for a world where there's no war and there's no division and there's no depression and there's no anxiety and there's no broken relationships. That's the garden. And we are not in the garden. We're exiles. But this theme of exile also becomes prominent in the Old Testament. If you know the story of Israel, as God uh, rescues Israel out of slavery in Egypt and brings them to himself at Mount Sinai and then eventually brings them into the land of Canaan that would be their home. And from Canaan, they would expand the kingdom of God to the world. That was the plan. But as you know, there was a great problem with the plan. And it was the hearts of Israel. As they, over a period, just repetitively rebelled against God, they were exiled. History repeats itself, right? They were exiled out of the land to Assyria and to Babylon. And so, so much of the prophets is helping them to understand how do we live faithfully in exile, but yet, how do we have ultimate hope in the restoration that's coming? That this is temporary, the reality of being an exile is temporary. But you see, Peter wants to bring all that in and say, really, we are the fulfillment of all of that, those of us who are followers of Jesus. We are exiles. And in this world that we live in now, we are aliens and strangers. It's not our home. We're going somewhere. Our home is a future kingdom. That's what we belong to. We are citizens of that future kingdom. And our values are to be the values of that future kingdom. And now as we live here in this world, we live like a fish of water. We live as aliens and strangers, exiles in this world. It is not our home. This is a critical thing for us to understand, because, especially because of the culture that we live in. You know, we live in a culture, and we talked about this a lot, but it's a highly consumeristic materialistic culture and we're constantly being told you got to live for this world this world is all that there is I hear all the time you know you only go around once you only live once you got to live it up you got to fit as much as you can into this life you got to have it all so we believe all the marketers we believe all the commercials and we're chasing it they say jump, we say how high. And so we are searching for life and all of these things. And when we bump up against the brokenness of this world, is deeply unsettling. It is for me, I'm putting myself right there. When we get sick, when there is loss, when things don't work out in life, when we encounter suffering, it is deeply unsettling to us because this deep-seated lie that this World is all that there is, takes hold of our hearts. And so, what Peter wants us to know is that this is not your home. You are exiles here. You belong to another world. Like, you will have trouble in this life. You will, you know, Jesus very clearly said, you know, if the world hated me and it hated me, it's going to hate you too. <laughs> Just get ready. But why does that not, why should that not fill us with worry and anxiety? Because Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. I've, I've overcome it. Uh, my kingdom is coming. And not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your Father in heaven. So take heart. You're exiles here. It was huge for us to understand that. But also, Peter doesn't want us just to understand that we're exiles, but also that we are elect exiles. See that? Look again, what he says right off the bat, to God's elect. Now, what are we talking about here? Now, this is a concept that we see throughout Scripture, and you might be a little bit new to it, but it's this. If you are a follower of Jesus today, you are a follower of Jesus because God has chosen you. That's what election means, a choice. God chose us before we ever chose Him. We might say, wait a minute, I I made a decision for God. And we have. That's great. But you see, the only reason we would ever decide for Him is because He first chose us. Salvation is entirely the work of God. God comes to us and He opens our eyes. And He draws us to Himself. And we're told in other places in Scripture, even before He made the world, He knew our names. He set His affections upon us and decided that we would become His. As we saw last week in the passage we looked at last week, we love because He first loved us. God loved us before we ever loved Him. In fact, the reality of all of our hearts is we would never love God. We love ourselves, just like our first parents, Adam and Eve. That's the natural thing of our hearts. But the incredible grace and love of God is that He chooses to rescue us to himself Now he describes this work of election in the in this very verse here as A work of the entire Godhead now. What do I mean by that? That's a big word So as you come to scripture what you understand is that God is one God. There's only one God There's not multiple gods. There is one God who has existed for all of, uh, all of eternity in three distinct persons the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the nature of who God is. And we talked about last week, that's because God in His essence is relationship. He has always existed in relationship within Himself. But what Peter as he describes this election here, it's really beautiful, he shows how all the persons of the Godhead, you know one word that we use for that is the Trinity. All the persons of the Trinity were involved in our election. Look at what he says here. Verse 2, talking about us who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Do you see that picture there of all of the persons of the Trinity intimately involved in our salvation? The Father, as He says here, has foreknown us before creation now that foreknowledge that can be a confusing concept foreknowledge does not mean he knows something we're gonna do it means that he knew us in an intimate relational way before the world was created that's what foreknowledge means he actually uses the same word later in verse 1 to talk about Jesus that he foreknew Jesus that is he foreknew all of his purposes that would be worked out through the work of Jesus so to say that God foreknew us that we were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God means that before he made the world he knew your name he knew that you would become his not on the basis of anything in us in spite in in fact in spite of everything that he knew about us he knew everything about our hearts he knew the ways that we would rebel against him the ways that we would go our own way All the sins that we would ever commit. He knew it all. And yet, he loved us. Not because of anything in us. But because he loved us. Because he loved us. (laughs) You can't go any deeper than that. It's an incredible mystery. You see, the incredible truth is that if you were a follower of Jesus. God knew you before he made the world. And then, at just the right moment. He sent the Holy Spirit to set you apart. He's specifically referring to that moment that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, grants us repentance, gives us faith. He's talking about the moment of conversion. And we don't always know the time and the date. You know, I've I've heard people say, you got to know that time and date. Well, you don't always, but it has to happen. That at some moment in your life, the Holy Spirit comes and sets you apart. On the basis of the Father's foreknowing you, the Holy Spirit comes and opens your eyes. And you believe. And you embrace Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, the work of Jesus, the Son. To be obedient to Jesus. Now the obedience that he's referring to here is the obedience of believing in him. Of receiving him. We see that repeated later in verse 1. It is a believing in Jesus that is the mark of this awakening in our hearts. This mark of salvation. And sprinkled with His blood. All of our salvation, all of our election is on the basis of the work of Jesus. See, all the persons of the Trinity are involved in our salvation. The Father plans it and sends the Spirit and Jesus. Jesus comes to accomplish our salvation. He went to the cross. He died in our place. He lived a perfect life and then uh, was punished in our place for our sins on the cross. So that through his blood we might be washed. It's taking you back to the old covenant. Whenever uh, Moses would cleanse the people of Israel. What he would do is make a sacrifice in their place. He would take the blood and he would sprinkle it on the people. And they would be set apart and cleansed. By the shed blood of the sacrifice. You see, all of that was a pointing ahead to the work of Jesus. So we are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. We are cleansed from all of our sin and all of our shame on the basis of the work and accomplishment of Jesus. So you see this picture here of all of the Trinity involved in our election and our salvation. What does that tell us? It tells us how deeply secure we are in His grace. You see, if I'm saved on the basis of nothing in me, then there is nothing in me that I see now that can disqualify me for that. We are utterly secure because the Father first chose us. Now, sometimes people see this concept of election and they get caught up in saying, wait a minute, how do I know if I'm elect? You ever thought that? Like, oh, what if I'm not elect? Well, let me just tell you, Scripture never calls us to use the doctrine of election in this way. Rather, it calls us to see, am I following Jesus now? Am I trusting him now? Well, the only reason is because he has already worked in me. And so it leads us to marvel at the grace and the love of God that has no basis in anything that we do. Salvation is entirely the work of God. So you see, Peter wants to root them and us. He wants to root us in this identity that we are exiles and yet we are elect. You know, whenever, <clears throat> back to the Uzbekistan trip, when H and I were in Uzbekistan, there were so many situations where we encountered like things that were hard and challenging but the fact that we were remembering wait we're strangers here and this is a temporary trip well it gave us a lot of strength to endure that stuff you know I'm someone who probably the greatest act of torture I can imagine is you making me try to sleep in a hot room like you do that to me I'll tell you whatever you want to know all the secrets you know I'd rather have that than be waterboarded I mean it and we find ourselves in a hotel room where the daggum AC won't work and Uzbekistan is like in the desert and so we're sitting there at night I'm just, you know, don't even get the covers anywhere near me I'm sweating in the bed and I figure out, the, they had an AC unit in there and so it would work for about 15 minutes and then it would stop working so you had to get up and you had to cut it back on so every night, I'm waking up every 15 minutes Well. However long it took me to just sweat it out and wake up. Cutting it off, cutting it back on. H is over there just, you know, in comfort. (laughs) If I was in America, you know what I'd do if I was in a hotel in America, that's happening? I'm calling up that front desk. I'll be there in a minute. You know, this ain't happening. This, this, you know what I'm paying here? But we didn't do that. I didn't walk, march down there like somebody better go up here and fix. Why? Because I was a stranger here. I'm an exile exiles don't demand things to go their way it's just a different kind of mindset sometimes we're somewhere eating you know we went to a dinner one time and they put horse on the table and I'll say what is this get this out of here this is terrible no you're an exile so what do you do you know I gotta try it because I'm a guest here I mean there were so many things that we encountered that were challenging and hard but you know what we could do it with joy because we knew, I'm an exile, I'm a stranger, this ain't my home, and it's temporary. I'm going to be home, and I'm going to jack that AC all the way down, and we're going to eat my favorite food, right? Because you know what's coming. Do you see how it gives you the power to live faithfully in the face of hard things? You know, there's another thing that we had. We had this little thing. I forgot it at home. I wanted to bring it, a little visual aid. But It's this little thing and it's got your picture in there and it states where you're a citizen of and all this basic information about you. What do you call that, kids? That little thing that you hold in your pocket and it's, it's, uh, it, it, what is it? A passport. Thank you. I didn't forget. I just wanted you to say it. It's a passport, (laughs) right? And so the number one thing when you go to a place like this is you don't lose that passport. Because you might be in a Russian gulag for about a hundred years if you don't have that thing. Because what is it? It's your identity. This is who I am. This proves I'm a citizen of the United States. One day we're in that hotel room. There's a knock at the door and the police were outside and they wanted to see our documents. And we grab those passports and lay them out. And we're secure because of our identity. You see, that's what Peter wants us to know. This is your identity. Not any of that other stuff. This is your identity. You are exiles in this world. This is not home. It's not going to work. You shouldn't be surprised by what you're facing. But you are elect exiles. You're his treasure. You are his. Nothing can take you away. You are his very own child and all of the Godhead, all of the Trinity has been involved in making that a reality. See how that just changes how we face the things in our life? So here's the application here. What are you facing in your life? Because I think probably every one of us, we're going through something. There's something challenging. If you can't think of anything, we'll give it a day. Because something's coming in this world, right? What are you walking through in your life? What is hard in your life? What are the clues embedded in your everyday reality that are reminding you, I am not at home? What hangs you up? What in this life do you find yourself getting attached to? It gets a hold on you. You find yourself chasing it. I got to have this thing. What are those things for you? And so if you got that thing, here's the second question. What would change? If you remembered your identity as an elect exile. How would it change? The things you face at work. The things you're facing at home. The things you're facing at school. How would it change? How would it affect your hardships? Losses. Sickness. Pain in our life. Whatever we're facing. All the things. How would it affect that? It doesn't remove the sting of it. It still hurts, incredibly so, but we have a hope that will carry us through whatever we're facing. It is so easy, as I mentioned earlier, in the face of the things that we face, to think and to interpret our circumstances and say, God doesn't love me. God's abandoned me in this. I struggle with that. But when we remember we're exiles, we're like, wait, this is a part of what he's doing. How would it affect the things that you give yourself to? You know, what you give your energy to, what you chase after in life, what gets a hold of your life. See, when we remember we're elect exiles, it frees us from the hold that things have in our life. It's so easy in this life to have all these things to say, I gotta have that. Whether it's a relationship, or a thing, or an experience, or FOMO, y'all know what FOMO is? man that's our culture right now fear of missing out some of us are just going around collecting experiences in life you know for some heavenly scrapbook or something I don't know you know something happens to me when I walk into sportsman's warehouse you ever been to sportsman's warehouse thank you Atticus we need to go one time I walk into sportsman's warehouse it's a hunting store You know, they got animal heads all over the place. They got gear wall to wall. And when I walk in, something happens in my heart. I begin to think, what am I doing with my life? This is what I need to be doing. I need to be hunting. Right? I need to be having experiences and going on trips and like killing animals and like gear, gear, gear. I need more gear. What happens? I just walk through a door. Right, do you realize we live in a culture that's constantly bringing you into sportsman's warehouse or whatever it is for you. You're probably like sports well, that doesn't have any Well, what is it for you? What is the messages that we're constantly hearing that you're think, I got to have that. But you see when we know we're elect exiles, it just frees you from that. Uh, one last thing that we'll discuss for just a minute. So, this past week, I was driving down the freeway in traffic in Chattanooga, and I, I was thinking in my mind, there was this, there's a guy that doesn't have anything to do with this church or here, but there's a guy that I know, and he's kind of on me to come through for something. I'm being intentionally vague here, but he, he, he's wanting me to come through for something in his life, and, and he's kind of got this idea and this mindset and this attitude that no one is coming through for him. And so he's always complaining about everything. And I don't even like to be around him, right? Because he's just always complaining about how people are not coming through and doing this thing. And I was just thinking about that and getting irritated about that guy. And I think kind of enjoying that I'm not a complainer like that. And God just in that moment just took a little mirror and put it right in front of my face. And just showed me there's a, I'm, I'm going to be intentionally vague here too, but there's an area in my life. That recently has just been irritating the fire out of me it's not my family it's not the church okay I'll say that but but it, it's it's just like the people in charge just feel so inept and I don't have any control and I can't fix it and I'm frustrated and bumping up against it and what I realized in that moment is I've been going around just complaining to people and I just saw it in that moment. I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. Where did this entitled attitude come from? And I just had to repent right there in the moment. I'm like, God, yes, I do this. And I repent. Change my heart. And you know what I was, What God was reminding me of in the moment? You're an elect exile. Yeah. That's a jacked up situation. But it's temporary for you. You shouldn't expect it to just go your way. Right? You're an exile, but an elect exile. So how can you live in that way in this area of your life? This is really practical stuff. So let's take just a few moments and just hear from each other. What's happening in you as you think about this, this identity of elect exiles and how that changes how we walk through the really hard things in our life. Let's hear from each other. Uh, LG, right there.
2: Um, so I I've tried to remember this a lot at school. Because school is school. Everybody understands. Yeah, this is hard to remember sometimes. Um, what I like to remember is I'm gonna be a princess in heaven, mm. and a princess doesn't care what other people think about her because she's a princess and like, yeah, I'm a princess like. Nobody's able to just take that away from me, even if I don't have a crown on, or even if I don't always look like a princess. I know that I am inside, and that's like how I remember. I am an exiled princess in this world Mm. who is going to heaven to sit on a throne next to Jesus, the king of the universe. And that is something I try to remember like every day when life is hard and rough.
0: LG, that is beautiful. It feels like you should have been up here preaching. I mean... That is so true, like, you know, that's not just a cute thing for someone to say, that's true because we're going to reign with Christ. I mean, you think any position in this world, any acknowledgement in this world, any success in this world can even approach that, that we're going to reign over the earth? Like Paul actually says at the end of Romans, we are going to inherit the earth. It's going to be all your, you, if you think i got to have my dream home in this world, I'm not getting it. Oh, just wait to the great dream home you get. Like I'm getting land, right? And I know I'm going to be hunting in heaven. I don't know, somehow. But, but you see, we got to do that math. you got to do the math. It's not fairy tale. It's real. We're going to reign And so if you're going to reign in heaven. You can lose now. That's the logic of the New Testament. If I'm going to reign. I can lose now for the sake of Jesus. That's the New Testament.
1: So. um, Also. At school. um, Most of the people there. Are not Christians. Or at least are not practicing Christians. So. So. I run up against a lot of adversity and a lot of people basically going well no you shouldn't be doing this Mm. you should be doing this or you should be thinking this way Mm. Um, and the thing I have really been holding on to um, Mm. over the past month has been the thought of the new heaven and the new earth Mm. because I know that no matter what what all the craziness is that's going on down here, it's all going to heal one day. Mm. Um, and no matter how broken things are, uh, the world, the hearts of others, my own heart, it's, it's going to be okay. Mm. So, just holding on to the hope that, you know, Jesus is always going to be there. And one day, it's going to be fixed. Yeah, So.
0: that's right. That's beautiful. Thank
2: you, Amelia. Hutch, I just want to thank you for your vulnerability in that example you just gave because I think it's just a it's good to highlight the power of vulnerability and grace mm. because we all have those busted up, broken situations that, to be honest, are really annoying mm. and we have that tendency to focus on that rather than ourselves. And mm. you just gave a really I think beautiful example of the power of seeing yourself in that. Yeah. And so, thank you. And it's just such a good reminder. And yeah. Um, and and the example in my life that keeps coming out is parenting. Like, it's so easy to focus on how you're inconvenienced as a parent, but then you can put yourself in those shoes of being God's child. Mm. And I I just think there's so much um, power there. Mm to see I'm just like this. Yeah. I'm just like my kid. Yeah. I'm a child of God who is an absolute mess. Yeah. And I need grace and I, that ha- has happened like once in my life maybe. Yeah. But I've but the the example, the example that you're setting and the example of mm. how powerful vulnerability and grace can be mm. is encouraging this morning because we can't stop at just saying I'm in a messed up I have a messed up life. And I'm in exile, but um, we don't have to stop there. Yeah. We can, through God's power, decide how, therefore, I'm going to live. Um, yeah. And I need a lot of help to do that. Yeah,
0: um, me too. Thank you, Brent. Yeah, I think when we see the demanding, entitled attitude springing up in us, we know I've moved away from my identity as elect exile. I mean, that's what God was really showing me this week. And there's a lot of times during just an ordinary week that I see a demanding, entitled attitude in my heart. There's a lot of ways in which I see in the American church right now an entitled, demanding spirit. About our culture even. You know, this culture's changing rapidly. Unless your head is buried in the sand, you are aware of that. But yet our response is one of demanding entitlement. And so Peter's really going to help us. Because, you know, if you think the government's bad or, the, or things are going bad right now, well, you just ought to get a load of where Peter was in Rome with Nero on the throne. Like I know sometimes we're like, oh, I want to go back to the good old days. Well, the good old days are a myth. It wasn't so good. But yet he's calling them not to take over, or demand their rights. He's saying, suffer with joy. And invite this world to Jesus. Very challenging.
3: So I'm prone to super intrusive thoughts. And that's uh, Satan tries to try to take things and switch them. um, Even to the point where he tries to tell me that heaven is almost as bad as hell. Because it's forever. Mm. I don't... Anyways, yeah. um, and one of the things that I've been working on it for a while with a counselor, and one of the things she was like, you gotta stop those thoughts. And that's great, but then um, the gospel has also told me, don't just stop it, replace it with good. Yes,
0: that's so good. Yeah. So
3: um, I'm terrible about memorizing verses, but the one that you were saying today uh, from, is it first on? I, I, references are beyond me. But um, the, it was, um, I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take art, heart, I have overcome the world.
0: That's awesome. Great job, Lizzie. You memorized that. That's beautiful. I think what, what an amazing point to make is that you know, secular psychology, which has many good things to offer, will say, stop those thoughts, get rid of those thoughts, or whatever. Here's strategies, get rid of the thoughts. But, like, you know, they're just coming right back. We've got to replace them with truth. Like, we've got, and we've talked a lot about preaching the gospel to ourselves. We've got to know how to do that. We've got to know how to use the truth of the gospel on our own hearts when our hearts are condemning us. Just like that. So... That's really good. Let me close this in prayer and call our musicians to come up more we'll close. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for the testimony of believers, both in times past, even these first century believers who are so courageous with their faith, but also believers around the world today who really understand this a lot more clearly than us. Would they be our teacher? Would they be our encouragement? That, Lord, when we encounter trouble in this world, it's it's not that we're just to put a happy face on. Because you call us to grieve and to lament and to mourn even more than we're even willing to do. But, Lord, to have this ultimate hope that comes because of what Jesus has done. Would that identity be more real to our hearts than any of the other identities we're chasing after in this world. Root us as a people in the truth of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.